Welcome, everyone. The Bastards are back for this Monday edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by the Minute Media Podcast Network. The Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set with the Baltimore Orioles winning it two games to one. The Red Sox, however, are still currently in last place, three games under 500 and 10 games back from the final wildcard spot. Quick disclaimer, as always, for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina by way of Wyndham, Maine. You can find me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining us tonight from the city of Canton, Massachusetts, Jason Kelly. Jason? Yeah, uh, fun weekend. Nice to see the Red Sox, you know, take two out of three from a promising team. But it's a little bit bittersweet because, like, you know, fall is kind of coming here in New England and football is back. And I'm seeing a lot of people tweet about, oh, man, you know, it's going to be tough planning my football schedule, you know, like New York fans. Oh, Yankees might play on a Sunday. And what if the Giants and Jets are playing the same day? And I'm sitting here going, oh, yeah, we don't have to worry about Red Sox playoff baseball, do we? It's just the Patriots from here on out. Kind of rough. So nice weekend, but ultimately still kind of bittersweet because it's like, oh, yeah, no, no fall baseball for us. Which te- which Boston team's going to suck worse, you know, the Red Sox or the Patriots? <laughs> I mean, after today, it might be the Patriots. Jesus, who knows? But <laughs> Yeah, Mac yeah. Jones apparently needs some x-rays, so we'll see what happens there on his back, I guess, so. Yeah. Yeah. Has the pumpkin spice come out though at Duncan? Oh, the pumpkin spice came out in August. People appear <laughs> insane. Yeah. Okay. It was 95 degrees in August and pumpkin spice came out. Oh, yeah. Lovely. All right. Also joining us tonight from the city of Providence, Rhode Island, Charlie Smith. Yeah. Just a second. What Jason said, a pretty exciting weekend where uh, we had some. Some nice showings, a a football score almost. Speaking of of Patriots, uh, and then uh, a wild game three, which ended. I, I don't want to say anticlimactic, but uh, still an exciting finish. Um, you know, foreshadowing apologies coming shortly. But uh, I'm going to be honest. As far as the Patriots go, when it when it comes to facing the Dolphins, this is not a football podcast. We always lose in Miami. Like, that's a thing. We lose every Sunday in Miami. If the Patriots are playing at home against Miami, there's a chance we win. If we're playing down in Florida, we're losing that game. It's really frustrating. It's really annoying. I don't know what it is about Miami, but the Patriots just don't get it done there. So I walked in knowing after week one, as a Patriots fan, we're probably 0-1. I'm 80% sure we're losing this game. But uh, other than that, really great way to end the weekend. Uh, I cannot say anything bad about it, especially after yesterday's game. So I will take it. And maybe it's like a Boston, Florida thing, because as we covered uh, earlier in the week, uh, 
the Red Sox are one and nine at the trop this season and like 20 it's like 22 and 42 since the start of 2019 something like that so uh anytime a boston market team goes to florida doesn't end well all right so uh getting into some baseball here uh series win I guess, uh, you know, game one kind of sucked because we did have a two-run lead until the uh, sixth or seventh inning or so. Actually, I think it was the sixth inning and uh, put up a three spot. Um, so it could have been a sweep, but I think we might have hurt the Orioles' chances a little bit uh, as far as closing in on that third wild card spot. So unfortunate for them. I, I wouldn't have minded seeing them get in and seeing what this young team could do under some intense October lights. But actually, before we do get into it, because it just popped into my head now, Jason Twitter handle. Oh yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter at Color of the Iris. And Charlie, that's Smith underscore MLB. Well played, Terry. <laughs> I always say it when I read mine. I'm like, I'm going to remember theirs. I'm going to remember theirs. And then I didn't. I was off to the races a little bit. But uh, but then I remembered. I'm, I would have been the poster child for Ritalin or uh, nowadays, I think it's Adderall. But, um, but I've never taken the stuff. So, all right. So let's just get into the weekend top five. We've been doing good on the weekends as we uh, discussed prior to coming on. So haven't had to do the shit list in uh, a little while. So getting right into it, Jason, who is in the five spot on the weekend top five? Yeah, coming in at number five is Michael Walker. And he pitched in game two of the series, picked up the win. Obviously had uh, plenty of run support, a good 17-run uh, spot for him. So that was nice. But, uh, yeah, he's now 11-1 and on the season for you with an ERA under three. And obviously he missed quite a bit of time uh, on the IL, which was unfortunate. But he's been a good pickup for one year, $7 million. He has not only lived up to that contract, but exceeded it. Um, he's exceeded all of our expectations, I think, you know, I'm not the only one on this podcast crew who is very down on that signing because he did not have a good year in 2021. And somehow High and Bloom decided to give him more money than he was making in that year. And I think we all kind of mocked him for it. But that's one where you have to just sort of tip your cap to the GM there because Michael Walk has been a success. And it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with him this off season, because he's going to be 32 next season. He, he turns 32 next July and he's had a kind of a weird career. Like he was really great in St. Louis and had a lot of good years there. Then the injuries started cropping up. And um, at one point he was reduced to sort of a bullpen swingman role with the, with the Mets, the Red Sox picked him up after his year in Tampa and, now he looks like not only a like he deserves to be in a rotation, but that he deserves to be a number two or number three in a starting rotation. So I'm very curious to see what the Red Sox do with him 
and what what he commands in terms of a contract going forward. Because again, he will be 32. He has had injury history, but he's coming off one of the best seasons of his career. So do the Red Sox try to bring him back on a three, four year deal for, you know, decent money? Or is he just going to go sign somewhere else for something ridiculous and you lose out on him, which you may not lament, you know, not spending the money, but the Red Sox do need a proper rotation next year. This rotation was kind of a problem this year. It, you know, your frontline starters didn't get it done. We don't know what's going to happen with Nathan Avaldi going forward. My guess is that he's gone. Um, Chris Sale, you don't know what you're going to get out of him at this point. I mean, he might get back on the mound and then, you know, a, a sniper might get him in the knee or something, knowing his <laughs> luck. Like, it's just – so at this point, Michael Walker is a really interesting case because the Red Sox do need starting pitching depth but he is going to command a bigger salary. So I'm very curious to see what happens with him going forward. But as far as this weekend, he was good once again. Not his best start, but, you know, he did enough. And obviously you spotted him 17 runs, so hard to lose a game like that. But it's nice to see him back on the mound doing what he does. And um, like I said, I'll be keeping an eye on him coming into the offseason. You know, Earlier this year, Terry, I want to say that you and I were pretty aligned that we both didn't want Michael Walker. This was one of those sexy signings for this bargain in this, you know, whatever he got, five, six million. We weren't really sure how he was going to do, partially because of injuries and whatnot. But Jason hit the nail on the head. This is four straight quality starts. His last loss, his only loss, happened in a game that he never should have lost. And that was against the Reds in the last day of May. This is a guy who very well could be 15 and one, 15 and two with a Tony Gonsolin. Um, or what's the what's the name of their other starter that they have? Um Dustin is it May. Anderson? No, no, no. He's also oh. like 14 and two. It might be Anderson, actually. Brett Anderson. And I, th- I think it's Brett Anderson, yeah, who's yeah. 14 and two or something crazy, but Gonsolin's pitching out of his mind. Those two, I mean, the Dodgers are the Dodgers. They they're gonna be able to provide four to five runs of support. But you, you look back at some of these other games that he's had, seven innings, no runs allowed, five and two-thirds, no runs allowed. The guy has a stellar record since he's come back from his little injury because in the month of July, non-existent. We weren't sure if he was going to be coming back because I think he had, uh, wasn't it just dead arm, just dead arm fatigue? That's not necessarily something that some pitchers come back from. Nate Valdi has come back from it, and he's not come back from it and or gone back to it. Uh, incredibly impressed with what Michael Waka has been able to do for the Red Sox. I don't remember Michael Waka being this lethal in seven or eight years. I mean, when he first made his debut, he was facing the Boston Red Sox in his first campaign 10 years ago. And that was when I think the game that he started, I think John Lackey was the person pitching against him. And when he came off, Coach took the, the ball out of his hand, and he cried. He he felt like he let his team down. Like, this is a kid who does do everything the right way. He stays under the radar, not causing any problems. You never hear anyone saying, damn it, Michael's going to pitch today. This sucks. He's a horrible teammate. He's been incredible. He's had a stellar year. He's put up numbers that he's only done once in his career. Again, that being, being in 2015 when he went 17-7. and seven, with a 3-3-8 ERA, 153 strikeouts. 
He's not a huge strikeout guy. That's okay. He's incredibly consistent. He's giving you five, six innings. He's not allowing any runs. And if they are, they're menial. It really, really does help when you have 17 runs of support. By the end of the fifth inning, it was 10 to three. The game was over. There was no way the Red Sox were blowing that for this guy. So Jason brought up a really great point. Our rotation next year is a big question mark. We really don't know who's coming back. We don't know who's going to be coming back and healthy. If Waka does end up coming back, he's going to get paid. And then the question becomes, if you have a choice between Michael Waka and Nate Valdi, where does your heart go and where does your head go? Because I don't think it's the same place. My heart goes to Nate Valdi. My head would go towards Michael Waka. And the reason for that being is, I, at this point in 2022, have a little bit more faith that Michael Waka will be able to stay healthy and consistent than Nate Evaldi, who may be consistent, but not healthy. And Evaldi is going to be getting paid a lot more money. Not a question of if a team is willing to do it. It'll be when a team is willing to do it. The Red Sox are not going to keep Evaldi and Waka. It's not going to happen. Not when you got players like uh, you got up-and-coming rookies who are dominating. I don't want to foreshadow their names yet, but we're going to be talking about them soon. It's going to be really interesting to happen this offseason. Even with all of that, do we sign Michael Walker? Do we sign Nate Valdi? That's still not the most important thing that needs to happen over the winter. It's still not number one. It's top five, but it's not the most important thing. And I pray that Bloom gets that right. The longer I do this, the less of a heart I have. I just I just want to get it right. I just from a performance standpoint. And of the two, it's one thousand percent a no-brainer for me. I want Michael Walker because there's a lot less wear and tear. He hasn't been prone to major injuries like Avaldi has. He's had some pretty serious injuries, and with that velocity dip that Avaldi has I honestly wouldn't be surprised if he if he's relegated to a one-year prove-it deal I really wouldn't be surprised at this point like I would have a lot of concerns saying Nate you're going to be my number two next year or even my number three I just think there's a lot of red flags there um with with Waka yeah he has his summer vacation every year but he he bounces back and uh he did hit a couple of milestones in his start this series against the Orioles. 200th career start, and he happened to get his 1,000th strikeout. Here's the most impressive stat of them all. And Charlie, you rattled off some really good ones. Here's another great one. Um, Waka, in 14 out of his 18 starts, he's allowed two runs or fewer. So really impressive. I control the bastards account and um, I eviscerated that signing. It was really the first signing. And I thought, here we go. Here's another winter of getting guys not named Martin Perez and Garrett Whitlock that are essentially going to be Martin Perez and Garrett Whitlock. That's what I thought. Andrew tried calming me down, goes, relax, relax. He's just going to be a back end of the rotation guy, maybe a swing man out of the bullpen. 
And, uh, you know, I was like, well, he, that's not the money he's getting paid. He's getting paid starter money, you know? And so I, I should probably eat the most crow of anyone and, and I'm the chubbiest. So why not me? Um, but yeah, I'm really picky and would never eat crow though. Uh, but anyway, um, so great start for Waka. I think the question, I don't know if you covered it, Jason. The big question for me is, do you give him the qualifying offer? You'd have to pay him close to 20 million for one year. However, it would hurt his market because now a team has to give up a draft pick if they're going to sign him. So then what that would do for the Red Sox is it would create leverage after offering him that to, to getting him perhaps signed to a two or three year deal. And he's what, 32, 33, something like that. So I think three years probably would be tops for him. I think two would be ideal, but with so much uncertainty, do you cough it up for, for a third year or, or do you even just not give him the qualifying offer? I actually honestly would feel more comfortable giving him a three year deal I don't know exactly what the number would be, but I'd rather keep him here for two or three years than give him the qualifying offer. And, you know, which is going to be, like you say, close to 20 million. I think you could get him here for two to three years at less than that, whether it's 12, 13, whatever that number ends up being, it's going to be more than seven, obviously, but I would feel more comfortable like three over 33 sounds way better to me than a qualifying offer for, 18, 19 million for Waka. I think it's going to be in the probably the 14 to 15 million a year range. That's just what I'm speculating. So that would that would put it like 40 to 45, but that would be tops for me. I think you guys are bringing up some great points. There's no way I'm giving him the QO. Um, if I'm if I'm considering giving the QO to somebody, it's going to be Native Aldi. And the reason for that being is because you give him the QO, he does really well to start the year. That's a potential trade chip. There might be someone who might be interested in taking on that contract if that's a quick fix before we get one of the rookies up. Um, Michael Waka, three years, $42 million, seems pretty fair. That's a hair under $15 million per year. It's still a hike up in cash uh, in related to, relation to what he's been getting. I don't think the Red Sox are going to be giving Michael Waka the QO because they know – He's not going to be worth 18 or 19 million for one year. Tony Gonsolin is pitching out of his mind this year in, in LA. He's not worth 15, 16 million a year. And Gonsolin's a better pitcher than Michael Waka. Granted, he has a ridiculous amount of support behind him. I still think that Gonsolin is a better pitcher. He's not going to be getting that kind of money. So three years for 33 would be amazing if he was willing to take that kind of discount. I don't anticipate that happening. Three years, 42, or three years in that 40 to $42 million range, 15, 15 seems a little high, but I'd be willing to go 342, and I could be behind that even if he sucks for a year out of that contract. Even if he blows, that's still not as much money as we're giving some pitchers in our, in our rotation. So you know what? I'm willing to eat it. See, I think they came to that number because – Robbie Ray last season was on a one-year $8 million deal, ends up winning the Cy Young, gets a contract for well over 100 So you had the Red Sox coming in thinking, well, you know, maybe we can create some magic with Michael Waka. 
they ended up doing it uh, on an $8 million deal. The Dodgers tried the same thing with Andrew Heaney, uh, one year, $8 million. He's pitched okay, but uh, it looks like he was uh, injured for much of the first half. Before August 1st, he only made four starts for them, but he's basically pitched every fifth day since August 1st, so he could still play a, a factor in, in the playoffs and, and still essentially justify that $8 uh, million deal. But I, I don't – obviously, we're all in agreement that Walk is not going to get the bump that, that Ray got following that one-year performance. But but I think, I think agents will kind of cite the success that Toronto had with Ray and, and say that the Red Sox, you know, benefited somewhat similarly. They're different animals because Waka isn't a, a strikeout guy by any means. In fact, he's only got a 7.4 strikeout per nine on the season. That's that's not high at all, but but he gets a ton of soft contact and um, guys don't score. So, but we'll see. I mean, we're either going to see the last few starts from him and perhaps go to the drawing board or, or maybe Bloom gets it done. I, I'll say this. I'm not, I don't hate the qualifying offer because it gives us the leverage. And then if he rejects it, we get the draft pick. We get the draft pick anyway. So, um, yeah. All right. Uh, let's go to number four on the weekend. Top five. Uh, Charlie, who is it? Yeah, so this one is is Matt Strom. Matt Strom had two really good innings of of relief in this series, and I'm starting to warm up a little bit more to Matt Strom. This is somebody that when he came in, there were moments this year where I panicked. Starting off the year, we have to remember that Matt Strom was one of the guys that we thought, okay, cool, he did really well against the Yankees. Maybe this is a potential closer for us. We'll see. Ended up having a pretty decent first month of the year. Then it didn't get too much better than that. But we've seen a much better side of him in the month of September. The consistency is there. We've talked about this before. We can't not re-sign or not bring back all of our relievers. Valdez, we don't know what's going to happen with him. He's not there. Darwinson Hernandez has not figured it out still several years in a row. He's not going to be here. Hirokazu Sawamura is not here anymore. He has been outright released. There are a boatload of relievers that we have had, have not hacked it, and are now gone. Matt Strom is fighting his way and figuring out a way to stay relevant, to stay consistent, and to remain a Boston Red Sox in 2023. This is not somebody that I'm going to be nervous to see in the next year. For the year, his ERA is down to 3.19. He still has over 40 strikeouts. His whip is just over 1.1. I'm not nervous to see this guy coming out when he's, you know, as far as lefties are concerned, there are plenty of uglier options, not only on our team, but available as far as free agents are concerned moving into next year. I'm super content with the fact that he was able to shut the door uh, in in game three. This is a, a team that, as far as today was concerned, 
each reliever did major work. You saw four innings of relief. You saw seven strikeouts. I think it was one hit, one walk, but it wasn't strong. You saw multiple relievers today alone, two strikeouts plus per inning. That was the average. He's getting the job done. I'm I'm not going to say anything bad about him. I know I've said some things bad about certain players, but kind of hard to knock a guy when he comes in for one inning and strikes out two of the three batters he faces. Overall, two innings, again, three strikeouts, two innings of work, only a hit allowed, and an unearned run. I'm cool with that. Yeah, your bullpen is probably the second biggest area of concern this offseason. I would say starting rotation is number one, but bullpen's number two. Uh, the bullpen was not good enough this year, and Bloom last offseason did not do enough to address it. Strom was one of the guys he brought in, and Strom has worked out. He also brought in Jake Diekman, who sucked. Um, he also relied on Ryan Brazier and Salamora and Phillips Valdez, who all sucked. So the bullpen is a major concern going into next year, and I agree. I want Matt Strom back here. And um, we all know lefties are more valuable in general, but especially in this division – going up against the Yankees who, look, if they're smart, load up their lineup with left-handers because of their stupid ballpark, you need lefties. And Matt Strom is one of the good ones out there. So he he had a little bit of an up-and-down season in the middle, got hurt somewhere in between there, but ultimately he's been good. And I have no problem putting Matt Strom right back in this bullpen next year. Um I do hope that Bloom adds a few more bodies in there and not just, you know, not just uh, 4A pitchers. I'm talking like good bullpen arms. Like he needs to really restructure that bullpen, figure out the back end of it, who's going to be the closer, who's going to be the setup guy, all of that. But if Matt Strom is one of your seventh inning guys, maybe even an eighth inning arm, you're in good shape. So, you know, he had a good weekend. He's had a good you know, sort of uh, home stretch here. So hopefully see him back. And, uh, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see what the rest of that bullpen looks like after this offseason. I looked it up since you mentioned him. And uh, Jake Diekman, since going to Chicago, has a 5.25 ERA. <laughs> so that was uh, maybe – Perhaps one of the few good moves uh, outside of maybe Waka and Strom that uh, Bloom has made this year. Uh, since coming back from the injured list, Strom took a comebacker off his hand and missed, I don't know, three or four weeks, something like that. He's had a 180 ERA. So if it, I mean, he had a bad, what, second half of June into July. And uh, that's what inflated the, uh, you know, the ERA a little bit because he was lights out the first couple months. But, um, yeah, just a just a, a good uh, series for Strom. If you go uh, into game two, which was the first of his uh, two appearances, he should have had a one, two, three inning. He struck out uh, Cedric Mullins swinging, got him to whiff. Uh, Adley Rushman ground out and then um, Story unfortunately botched uh, a play which would have ended the inning uh, on a ball hit by uh, Ryan McKenna and um, and then 
Mountcastle ended up singling, but that should have been a clean inning for Strom. And then game, his second appearance, which was in the final game of the series, was uh, even more impressive. He did hit Odor with a pitch right away, then balked. So you're thinking, uh-oh, this might go sideways. But he just completely locked it down after that. Struck out uh, Robinson uh, Chirinos, uh, got him to swing and miss, got Ryan McKenna to ground out, and then Anthony Santander also swung and missed. So he's getting the whiffs again. And the thing I loved about the Santander strikeout was it was a it was a fastball up and away, kind of Chris Sale 2017-2018 style. Uh, perhaps Sale could uh, take some pointers from Matt Strom and maybe, you know, get back on the horse. But but it was a great series for Strom. Jason, I, I think you mentioned he, he does want to be a starter. It doesn't always work out that way. His current deal with the Red Sox uh, for this season is a $3 million deal. So if we have any hope in bringing him back, it would have to be a multi-year deal, two- or three-year deal for probably a bump up in pay. So that makes me a little kind of weary on whether bloom would actually spend that type of um you know that type of money on a reliever um having said that outside of schreiber whitlock and um tanner how i can't believe that slipped my mind i was about to say yeah the dude that hurt his back um outside of those three who do you really want to keep nobody do you want to keep brian brazier do you want to keep i mean who who else is there matt barnes is gonna stay unfortunately because we're paying him seven million uh but that's gonna be up and down and and he's gonna they're gonna have to fake an injury at some point just to get him out of there but the bullpen is the most daunting part of this winter for me you know you've got other things that are extremely high priority but i think you can you can fill in the gaps in your lineup a lot easier than you can build a bullpen and that's what that's what worries me the most the the other issue with strom and him wanting to be a starter is that when when pitchers want to do that when they want to go from the bullpen to the starting rotation it's a lot easier to swallow that pill and it's a lot easier to uh, entertain that when you already have them under contract. And as you mentioned, like Strom, it, that's it. Like he, he had a one-year deal, $3 million. So if you re-sign him, how's that negotiation going to go? Is he going to say, well, I plan to be a starter, so I want more starter money? And then you go, okay, well, we, we don't think you can be a starter. We want you to be a reliever, so we're going to offer you this. So... I do wonder if he's going to play hardball a little bit and he's going to say, well, I'm going to have my agent reach out to other teams and say, I'm ready to be a starter. I'm going to get stretched out and he's going to get a better offer money wise from some stupid team. That's, you know, really desperate for starting pitching. That's going to go. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll pay him starter money and the Red Sox won't. So I, I think that could screw with the negotiations a little bit. I mean, here's the thing with the with the Red Sox as far as that's concerned. Earlier this year, we signed 
Garrett Whitlock to what was supposed to be reliever money. And not long after that, we had an injury and immediately went into the starting rotation. So there are going to be opportunities for multiple people on this team. If Strom's expectation is that he's going to all of a sudden become stretched into a starter and he's going to be getting starter money, we're not playing for anything this year. Why don't you show us what you can do as a starter now? Because if you're all talking no action, then we, we've got plenty of guys that are doing that right now in Boston. We don't need any more. I appreciate what you've done, and I've spoken highly about you, but if you want to be a starter and you want to try to become the next Derek Lowe, where you become a starter from that full-time closer role, show us that you can handle it and do really well in that role. Because if you can't, do not expect to get starter money. We have so much money being allocated to players that are not either playing to their potential or just playing. So I don't want to be wasting more money. I don't. I want to invest the money, not waste the money. So if you want to be a starter and you want to be Derek Lowe 2.0, please show us that you can start. Tell the coach, I want to be the fifth man. Let's see how much you can do. And we'll have a six-man rotation. That's cool. Stretch out the, the other starters. D give them an extra day. If you're that confident, you get one, maybe two opportunities. Otherwise, back to the bullpen, sir. Well, perhaps this will give you guys some optimism. The most starts he's ever made was 16 starts in 2019. And... He must have had a lot of bullpen appearances because he had 30 more games beyond those games started. He So he had 46 appearances that year. Only 16 of them were starts. And he had a 4.71 ERA. So the year didn't seem to go well. Then in, let's see, uh, 2018, May had... Pitched in 41 games. Only five of those were starts. Uh, three starts the year before. He's never had a track record as a starter. So for him to demand that uh, this winter, I don't think it's going to go well. And he's certainly not going to get a lot of money on that demand. So perhaps maybe that plays back into the Red Sox favor if they give him a decent contract. Um, to pitch out of the pen, Charlie. Your your last time as a starter was three years ago. Your record was six and eleven, and your ERA was almost five. You are not screaming starter money, and if if that's your expectation that you think that you deserve that, I've already said it once. Show us that you can do it. In the last three years combined, you've had one start, and in that start, I don't have my numbers in front of me. I can actually pull it up right now, but in that start, how did you do? Because in in 2021, in the only game that you started, let's take a look because I'm actually now very curious to know what game that was that he ended up doing crazy work. And I can't see it, but I'll say this much. Unless you started and only came in for one inning, you got rocked. So... It's been three years since you've even had a quality start, if you've ever even had one. At the end of the day, I don't think this is going to become the, the Derek Lowe 2.0 project. I think there's going to be probably somebody else that they would consider doing it to. This isn't the guy. I think his his best work is left in the bullpen. That's it. 
All right, number three on the weekend top five. It's going to be Brian Bayo, who pitched pretty well. I, it didn't end quite on a, on a good note, but uh, up until then, he was kind of cruising along, pitched five and one-third innings, only gave up three hits, three earned runs, did walk four, but most of that was in the last couple of innings. Struck out seven. So, ideally, he would have got out of the jam. Alex Cora pulled him out, basically, with the bases loaded. And uh, no runs had scored at that point. Uh, but then Caleb Ort came in, threw a wild pitch. The runner from third uh, scored. The other two runners moved up to second and third. And then... Uh, a base hit got punched through the uh, right side of the infield and two more runs came in. So, I, it, it, like I said, would have been nice to see Bayo get out of it. But I think his trajectory is still, you know, is still going upward. You look at a guy like Josh Winkowski, who didn't start off too bad, but absolutely plummeted after a little while. I think you're seeing a guy in Bayo who's going to um, be a very serviceable middle-of-the-rotation guy at worst, and I'd rather have him experience all this now in a meaningless September, you know, work through whatever you need to work through. And there was one inning, I think it was the fourth inning, he kind of pitched out of a jam. There was uh, traffic on the bases, and he got out of it, and I think it was a strikeout, and you could just see him thumping his chest like, yeah, let's go. Let's bleep and go. And um, I like that, and he's figuring it out, I guess. So not a terrible start by Bayo. Jason? Yeah, look, this guy's still your best pitching prospect, so – I want him in the rotation next year. I, I, I'm already getting tired of some people saying that, well, we're going to see what kind of spring he has and, you know, blah, blah, blah. No, just put him in the effing rotation next year. Like, what are you going to do? You, you're going to go out and sign four other guys once Evaldi walks. And like we, we talked about Waka, who knows? Chris Sale, forget about it. You know, stop selling me on Chris Sale. Don't give me the James Paxton crap. Just put this guy in the rotation next year. He's your best pissing, pitching prospect, and his first couple of starts were rough. They, they were they were rough. He he really struggled at first, but now he's really getting into his own, and he has good stuff. Looks like he's settling into the role. Put him in there. Put him in the rotation next year. Get him a full season, and let's see what you got. So ultimately, I want more starts out of this guy. I, I hope that he pitches through September. And we'll see how he ends the season. Um, he should go into spring training next year with a solidified starting rotation spot. Whether he's your number three or number four starter, I don't really care. But he should be in there because, again, he's your best pitching prospect. Every other team in the league puts their best pitching prospect in the starting rotation at some point. At least, you know, when they're age ready and when they've proven it in the minor leagues which Bayo has. So he should be in there next year. I don't want to hear any debate about it. He deserves to be in there. Do it. Yeah, this is going to go right in line with me going 
into that 80, 90% agreeing with, with Jason take. Uh, absolutely. This is a player that I did not want to see in 2022 because I was afraid that his camera, his, uh, I can't talk, uh, that his uh, mindset, his psyche was going to get broken and blown up by pitching in Boston a year too early. This is someone who really didn't get the run support, was not getting anything going for him. And over his last couple of starts, we're starting to see a young man blossom. His first three, four starts were an absolute nightmare. His ERA was over eight. He was getting absolutely no run support. And then all of a sudden, late August comes up, five innings, two runs, six hits, seven strikeouts against Toronto. No decision. Three runs, four innings, two strikeouts against Minnesota. Does take the loss. Three hits, six innings, five strikeouts, no runs allowed. Finally got that first dub. And then even now, the most recent performance, five and a third innings, three runs, three hits, seven strikeouts, four walks. The walk number was a little ugly. That's a career worst. I was still really impressed because it wasn't until the sixth inning that any damage got done. And I think if you stretch this young man out, you get him you get him a little bit, a little warmer. This kid's 23 years old. There are no more Brian Bayos in, in the pipe like this. So... I'm really, really looking forward to what he's going to be able to do. I think he's going to take a major step forward in 2023 and beyond. And Jason is absolutely right. If you try to picture a rotation without Bayo in it, you are not thinking about this team long-term. You are not taking the rotation seriously. And you are leaving this almost like a boat with a hole in it. You can't do that. And, and Bayo is someone who you've got to have in that rotation for next year. I 100% agree with it. I 100% support it. And I think he's going to be one of the biggest surprises next year. That That's it. I think everybody's going to know who Brian Bayo is next year. In the last, let's see, in his last three games, he's got a 3.52 ERA. So um, I forget where it is. Uh, on the season, it's, yeah, it's a little bit under six. So that just kind of speaks to the fact that you know, he, he is trending the right way. The strikeouts have ticked up a little bit. So you, you definitely want to see that a guy who can, you know, finish guys off. And I mean, we're either going to develop a prospect or we're not. (laughs) So let's, let's like Jason said, let's just see what he has. And I think at this point, I think calling him up was the right move because instead of, you know, going for the wild card, like we were initially hoping he is kind of working through all those issues and yeah. So, all right, Jason, who is in the number two spot on the weekend top five? Number two is uh, the lone hitter we have in the top five, but it's Raphael Devers and he certainly set the tone in game two. Um, grand slam right off the bat. Nice to see him hit one out, probably to one of the deepest part of the ballpark too. Like it was, it was a blast. And look, he had a rough August, um, but I think we can all agree Raphael Devers is still your best hitter. I don't think anyone would question that. So it was nice to see him kind of get off the schneid a little bit, have a good day on Saturday. The rest of the series, a little bit quiet. I mean, he was 4 for 12 overall, so not terrible. Um, but, again, this is a guy who's going to have a lot of eyes on him this offseason because 
you know, is he going to get that extension or not? Is he going to go into next season without an extension in his hand? Which to me is, I hate to say it, but a fireable offense because I think if he doesn't go into next season and, or if he goes into next season and does not have an extension, you've lost him. You've lost him. It's going to be Mookie all over again. So this guy's got to get signed. Um, I, I think that, you know, we talked about priorities for the offseason earlier with the bullpen and whatnot. Rafael Devers might be your number one priority. Uh, like at this point, he, he might be number one. You've got to get that extension done. You've got to do it because Bogarts still has to be figured out. Obviously, you need to fill out the rotation. Obviously, you need to fix the bullpen. You have an open corner outfield spot. But Rafael Devers having that extension locked up and having him as a cornerstone franchise piece going forward into next season is super important. This guy's the best third baseman in the American league. So it just, you have to lock him up and you know, it's, it's inexcusable. If he's not, it's absolutely inexcusable. You have the money to do it, just do it. So this weekend, you know, that, that game on Saturday, he showed you just one swing of the bat. He sets the tone for the rest of the game. They score 17 runs after that. He is your offensive catalyst, and he always will be. And the defense has improved, and, you know, he's still young. He's, what, 25? So, I mean, just do it. It's it's a no-brainer, and it's unbelievable that we've gotten to this point. But get it done. This guy's – the Red Sox are so lucky that he's here. Lock him up. Give him the extension. Don't waste time. Yeah, I mean, a couple things. One, speaking of not wasting time, Devers hit a grand slam in the first inning. You want to talk about setting the table and uh, sending everybody home quickly. 4-0 is, is brutal in the first inning. Giving up a grand slam sucks in one of two innings. Bottom of the ninth, first inning. Anywhere in between, it's like, oh, well, there's a great opportunity that that could happen. First inning? How in the world? That's awful luck. That is just really crap luck. The first four runners reach base and score. I mean, it's one of the most holy plays in sports. And when that happens, it looks really nice. This is the one little caveat, though. That 5 to 10% window where I don't agree with Jason, here it is. Not one of the biggest priorities. The largest, unequivocally, undeniably most important decision that needs to be done is re-signing Rafael Devers. I've said it, I don't know how many weeks, months, years. Terry's been saying this weeks, months, years. And the amount of money that we could assign Rafael Devers for has only increased 50 to 75%. What used to be 220 to 240 million, it's not even gonna be close. If you're not even considering doing 330 to 350 he's not interested as he shouldn't be he's worth it he's worth every penny and you not re-signing him sends a very bad message so the red sox are going to have to make him an offer he cannot refuse they're going to have to mafia the heck out of rafael devers throw him the bag give him the key to the city we want you we want you bad because it's not going to be fun when Rafael Devers gets a standing O every single time he doesn't come to Fenway Park wearing another uniform. It's not going to be fun when every single 
fan is going to be thanking him and saying, we're sorry we couldn't sign him, but our team was too cheap. Rafael Devers put the team on his back with one swing of the bat. He's not the type of guy that needs to go two for three, three for four every single week. He loves playing baseball. He loves playing in Boston. He wants to continue playing in Boston. He just wants to get paid, and I understand it. This is a guy that I can get behind for wanting to get paid. There is no other player that we have that can do what he does. There is nobody, even looking back three, four years, listening to the podcast because I'm taking a trip down memory lane. I get to hear Terry from 2018. Where we're talking about 2018 Rafael Devers, the bat's there, the glove may not be there, but man, what an exciting talent. Four years later, fast forward, he's incredible. He's one of the best players in baseball, and we don't know where he's going to be. That's terrifying. I don't want to I don't want to go to sleep wondering are we going to do the right thing. We've been blowing this for 2 years. Devers is hitting 271 against lefties. So, pretty good. The home runs aren't really there, but you know, only about a third of his at-bats are against lefties, so maybe it's not too disproportionate, but um, but that's still pretty good. I mean, he's still dangerous no matter who's pitching to him. The one thing I'm getting tired of, and I'm about to be hypocritical about it, but um, you keep hearing, who's your Mount Rushmore for this? Who's your Mount Rushmore for that? And it's it, it gets talked about in every sport. But just one last time here. What's the Mount Rushmore in the last 25, 30 years for players that got away that the Red Sox absolutely should have re-signed? One, obviously, John Lester. The other, Mookie Betts, obviously. I think, would Wade Boggs be considered one? 25 years? Yeah. That's really on the cusp because I'm pretty oh, sure thir- it was before that, right? Call it 30 mid, years? Mid-90s, yeah. So Okay. That's but fair. he did have some good years with uh, the Yankees and was part of that, you know, that 90s run that they had. Um, uh, I mean, if I may, there's one? one player. Yeah, there's one player that I we let walk away for nothing, and it still breaks my heart because Beltre. I think that that's an honorable mention because it was only one year. Yeah. Mo Vaughn. When Mo okay. Vaughn left the Boston Red Sox, I was pretty devastated and we let him go for literally nothing. We just didn't sign him. Nothing. And he ended up playing for the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim and then did not have the most luxurious, crazy good career. But I think he had something similar to the effect of what Ken Griffey Jr. had when he left Seattle went to Cincinnati. Ken Griffey Jr. was on pace to break the record for the most home runs, the most RBIs, be one of the best baseball players of all time, and in, in my era, he will still go down as one of my favorite ball players of all time. When I used to play like baseball or run around and stuff, I would wear my hat backwards too, just like Junior. A lot of people did it. When people wear their cap backwards, you that's an ode to Ken Griffey Jr. No one else did that. You think about the 99 home run derby, that was Junior. He goes to Cincinnati, one good year. After that, career falls apart, completely derailed. Injuries galore, done. Move on, same thing. Am I going to be alone on that? Maybe, but if you want to deny what Movon was able to do for the Boston Red Sox in the 90s, it was Movon and friends. That was Superman. Adrian Beltre played for the Red Sox for one year, and he got a prove-it contract. The Red Sox didn't value him. 
The Red Sox ended up getting two players because they didn't re-sign Adrian Beltre. They got Jackie Bradley Jr. and they got uh, Blake Swihart. Those are the two players that were a product of Adrian Beltre not re-signing with the Boston Red Sox. Hindsight being 2020, we didn't know what Jackie Bradley was going to be. He did have that year where he hit, I think it was off the top of my head, 26, 27 homers, 87 RBIs, and hit like 275 or something like that. And we thought maybe he can get better. And Blake, excuse me, Blake Swihart was that catcher outfielder that could kind of do it all. And Blake Swihart was a player that was just, they tried to Swiss Army knife him too much. Still, do I think not resigning Adrian Beltre was a mistake? I was kind of hurt when we didn't do it. I really liked him. But Mount Rushmore, there's going to be a lot of room for debate on that. Well, Devers will will absolutely make it onto it if it if, absolutely if he doesn't. So that's why I was getting there. So we can definitely agree on Devers, Mookie, and Lester. So yes. put the fourth guy. But with Mo Vaughn, could you imagine if he got just maybe one or two or maybe even three years with Big Poppy in the same lineup and Manny in there? I mean, Broken. We love Kevin Millar, but I mean, man, that would have. Uh, would have been something else. And Mo, so, Mo was a lefty as well, if I'm not mistaken. He was. He was a lefty yeah. first baseman. That could run. He actually stole bases, but that was a different era because back in the 90s, the Red Sox stole bases. So Mo Vaughn's last year as a member of the Boston Red Sox was 1998. He hit 40 homers, 115 RBIs, hit 337, didn't steal any bases that year. You know, go backwards into time three years before he was the most valuable player in 1995, had 39 homers, 126 RBIs, had 11 stolen bases, and hit 300. This was a guy that was 6'1", little, little, I think he was a little more than that, and weighed 230. That's what it said online. <laughs> I don't believe that. But he was a big boy. Is, he was a big guy, and he stole bases. So this is a thing. It's, it's a dying art. You don't see players doing it anymore. Man, do I miss the stolen base. He struck out quite a bit, but he could also bang it like the best of them. I do miss Mo Vaughn. And, and you look back at it, David Ortiz's first year in Boston was what year? 03, which would 03. have made Mo Vaughn 35. So I guess I'm kind right. of stretching it with that scenario there. But Mo Vaughn, but, but to your point, Mo Vaughn in his prime with Manny Ramirez and David Ortiz, lethal. Yeah. Lethal. Exactly. Where does everyone play, though? Well, you that's the Vaughn. thing. You would think Vaughn would be a DH by that point. So do you get a few productive years out of David Ortiz at first base with that scenario, I guess would be the question. Right. And I was always mesmerized at how adequate Ortiz was in the World Series when they had to start him there to keep him in the lineup. You know, just I'd be curious to see what his numbers would have been over a, a large sample size, but... He he definitely seemed to play a pretty good first base. He did. Yeah. He definitely did. Yeah, that it, it's a it's an eight year gap between the two of them. But you think back, what an amazing passing of the torch, Mo Vaughn to David Ortiz, and then insert Manny Ramirez. Oh my God, that would have been such a a, a more enjoyable Boston Red Sox lineup for years and years. Jason, now you got you have something you want to say. Yeah, just, I mean, if we're talking about Red Sox that got away, if you want to round out the list, the one that you guys forgot, and a lot of people forget, unfortunately, Jeff Bagwell. Oh, yeah. We had him. We traded him away. You know why we traded him away? Because we had third base depth with Wade Bobbs and Tim Nairing. Yeah. We yep. we chose Tim Nairing over Jeff Bagwell. That trade. That's the one. 
that trade was, I think that was the one I, I wrote an article on this. Larry, uh, it was uh, Jeff Bagwell came for Larry Anderson, the reliever that the Red Sox had for a short-term rental. I don't know if I can say the one that got away because the Red Sox didn't know what they had with Jeff Bagwell. He was a minor league player. He had very, very little service time, if any. I don't even know. I have to look it up. I don't even know if Jeff Bagwell had a major league at bat for the Boston Red Sox. I don't believe he did. He did not. His entire career was in Houston as a first baseman DH, and he was a monster. In 1994, what year was the the lockout? That was 94, right? I think it was 94. Was 94. Yep. 94. In 110 games, he had 116 RBIs, hit 368, had an OPS of 1,200, a sluggage of 750, 300 total bases, 104 runs scored. He was on pace to break every record for everything. And that was in his fourth major league season. He was 26 years old. We can say the one that got away, but could we honestly say that we knew what we had at the time? Like that trade's going to go back down as, as one of the worst ever of all time. Jeff Bagwell playing for the Boston Red Sox. Oh my God. Like amazing. But not every trade works out. And that's, you know, it's unfortunate. Albert Pujols was given a D grade by a scout for the Tampa Bay Rays. They balked at signing Albert Pujols. They said he did not have all the intangibles. He was not good enough. And he is about to hit 700 home runs in Major League Baseball. That scout, I hope, got fired. But yeah, if you want to put Jeff Bagwell with an asterisk next to his name, I'm down for that. Bagwell and Mookie Betts have something in common. They were both drafted in the fourth round. And Bagwell went on to be elected to Cooperstown, took him seven tries. I'm a little surprised it took that long, but um, Mookie will obviously go probably right away. But, um, but yeah, just interesting. Hopefully this winter doesn't haunt us. Devers could be playing for the Mariners next season, for all we know. But don't don't say that. Or don't something. Say that. Probably not the Mariners, but but if they can't lock him up, I doubt he's with us uh, on opening day. Uh, all right. So finally, number one on the weekend top five, Charlie. Who is it? I have to start this off by apologizing first and foremost. And the reason why I have to start off with an apology is because several weeks ago. I asked if this player was going to be starting his last potential game as a pitcher in Major League Baseball, and I could not have been more wrong. And that is Rich Hill. Rich Hill just picked up his seventh win this year, pitching out of his mind. Five innings, two hits allowed, seven strikeouts. Did fantastic. He has done very well in two of his last three starts. Uh, three, three, excuse me, two of his last four starts because the last one was kind of ugly uh, against the Rays. I, I have to apologize because I, I didn't think we were going to see anything remotely close out of him. This is someone that was consistently going only three, four innings, allowing three, four runs. We're continuing to watch the ERA go up from something in the low fours to five plus. And it's, it's not pretty. It never actually got to five, but it was pretty darn close. And all of a sudden now we have Rich Hill. It kind of magical. Rich Hill in his late 40s age, pitching in the rain against the Baltimore Orioles. And you can actually hear him grunting 
because there's not enough fans in the stands. This man is giving it his all. If you, if you not, I, I can't knock Rich Hill. I, I can't do it. I apologize to Rich Hill. I, I feel like a fool for, for saying maybe even, even considering that Pittsburgh, if he pitched poorly, I, I think that was five, six starts back. If this was a poor start, he should be done as a starter in major league baseball. Uh, fantastic job by Rich Hill, a well-earned victory, his seventh on the year. I'm curious to know what else he has left. We know it's only a little bit left in the tank, but this is someone who could finish up with another win or two. I don't know if we're going to see 10 wins, but we're going to come close to it. He's hit 10 plus several times in his career. The last two were with the Dodgers. He's never done it with the Boston Red Sox. But this is his best year as far as wins are concerned with the Red Sox. Before 2022 began, the most wins he had in a season with the Red Sox, two. And that was back in 2015. Seven years later, in his third stint with the Red Sox, he's now seven and six. So super sweet to see it happen. I'm happy for him. I hope he continues to, to pitch well. And we'll see what happens. I'm I'm not really sure what 2023 is going to bring. I I don't imagine the Red Sox bringing him back for another year as a starter. I want to thank him for his service a third time. But, you know, at this point, this is just fun innings for him and fun innings for all the fans who get to see somebody in their early 40s still pitching baseball. Yeah, I think as far as 2023 is concerned, uh, I don't think Rich Hill is going to be pitching in major league baseball at all. Um, mainly because he will be 43, but also he's uh, vehemently against all the rule changes that will be implemented next year. Uh, he's been very much against the pitch clock. He's been very much against the extra big uh, bases. In fact, the other day he was mocking it by putting like giant flotation mats. No, it's a couch outward. cushion, a big couch, couch cushion. cushion. Yeah. Okay, so that's what it was. But, yeah, he was throwing those out there. Um, he, he hates all the new rule changes. My guess is that that will be his excuse to kind of call it quits and retire. Um, but as far as this season, when he was signed, and he was signed around the same time as Michael Waka, I believe. I think those signings were not, either within. Not, it, it, they were actually spread out because Waka oh, was, really? like, okay. in November. And then the uh, – and then I think the lockout played a part in it, if I'm not mistaken. So oh, so okay. we had to wait. And Hill and um, Paxton were within several hours of each other later okay. on. Okay, that's what I was thinking of. It was him and Paxton. Okay. Um, but when Hill was signed, you know, one year, five million, I think we all sort of looked at it and went, okay, not a bad depth piece. You know, he'll probably be a swing man out of the bullpen or – Maybe he'll be sort of an opener. He'll give you three or four innings, and then you bring your bullpen in to do the rest. He's been a lot more than that this year, and at times it's been really ugly. I mean, you look at his game log, and it's like he has that game against the Rays a couple weeks ago where he strikes out 11, goes seven innings, doesn't give up a run. He was dominant. His next two starts after that, he was garbage, pitched only four innings, gave up like four or five runs in each start. Um, And so he's – He's feast or famine. Rich Hill at this stage of his career is feast or famine. And lucky for the Red Sox this weekend, it was all feast. He he was great. 
So that's just who he is at this point. You got more starts out of him than you were expecting. I think a lot of that had to do with the injuries to your starting rotation. Um, luckily, Rich Hill, for the most part, has been pretty healthy. He did have a brief uh, IL stint with, with the knee injury, but for the most part, he's held it together. He's given you good, solid innings, and every now and then he can give you a start like this where he just looks great, doesn't give up any runs, strikes out a lot of batters, you know, and looks like the Rich Hill of old. And I, I still think that he's probably done next year. I don't think he comes back. Um, I think this will be it for him. But you know what? For one year, five million bucks, I think he's been worth it. He's been worth the money. He's given you more than you ever expected. And you can't ask for much more than that out of a 42-year-old who, like I said, you know, when, when that signing happened, we all thought, okay, he might give you three, four innings tops because we weren't sure how much he had left in the tank. Turns out he had more than we thought. Um, but, you know, it, it's been it's been fun to have him back here. I'm glad that he came back at least for one more year. You know, being a Milton Mass native, it was, you know, fun to see him pitch for the hometown team again. But uh, I think this will probably be it. I don't think you'll see Rich Hill in 2023. But he did his job this year. He did his job and more in 2022. So hats off to him for that. And it's funny that he hates the pitch clock because he doesn't need it. I mean, he's fast on the mound. Like, But I guess in terms of solidarity and all that, he, he's against it. Clayton Kershaw says he's going to ignore it, apparently. I think one of you guys shared that link in the in the war room. But but I, I think it's 50-50 as far as whether Hill pitches next year, but I doubt highly it'll be with Boston. He His home ERA at Fenway Park, 5.88, and that was probably helped out a lot by that seven-inning outing he had with 11 strikeouts because he that I think was over seven at one point and it's it's trended downwards a little bit his uh away ERA is 3.99 at the moment and he's actually pitched 15 more innings on the road than he has at home so it's actually a much bigger sample size and he's he's pitching better uh, you know, 56 and one third innings on the road, 41 and one third at home. So I think a team that's got a somewhat favorable ballpark might look at him and, you know, pay him five to seven for one more year. I, I don't think he would turn that down. I could be wrong, but it would be really easy for him to say right now. Yeah, this is my last year. And so far he hasn't. So we'll see. Any uh, any more thoughts on Rich Hill? No, I just it, it's funny you brought Kershaw. Yeah, the, ignoring the pitch clock. That's gonna be, boy, that's gonna be so much fun to watch. Just as a side talk, like the these weenie pitchers that don't want the pitch clock. Just seeing them, you know, just bitch and moan next year. It's gonna be so much fun. Well, Scherzer is one of them. I think Verlander as well. So it's going to be interesting to see if there's a power struggle. How much leverage will those guys really have when they pitch? Maybe none. And and at that point, they're just going to have to adjust. But um, I'm not a huge fan of it myself, but I'm I'm done fighting those battles. I have a feeling that's going to come up on Hot Take Tuesday, though. So uh, be on the lookout for that. 
All right, let's get the pitching matchups up. Oh, facing the Yankees. Dead giveaway. I, I didn't even look. Oh, I get nothing but. That's a two-game set? Is that all we got? Yep, two-game set. Pavetta and Cole are going to be on Tuesday night as Monday we are off. As we uh, carry this show into Monday morning, we get the day off tomorrow. Tuesday night at 710 on TBS, Nick Pavetta will be facing Garrett Cole. Brian Bayo will be pitching against Frankie Montas. So just a two-game set before another day off on Thursday. I think uh, Pavetta probably gets blasted. It's in Fenway. He usually pitches better against the Yankees at Fenway. But I don't know. I just I just feel like they can tee off. I don't think they're afraid of Nick Pavetta at all. They haven't been hitting great, though, having said that. But I'll take the Yankees in that one. I don't think anyone's going to bet against Cole. I mean, Terry, you and I saw Garrett Cole pitch live, and it ended very badly for us. So <laughs> I'm just going to say Garrett Cole in this one. He's a great pitcher. He's done uh, very well away, and he's done fine at home. He's an, he's an incredible talent, and uh, I see no reason why he would do would do poorly. This year, he's done very badly against Boston. His year is over five, but – Whatever you know goes down eventually has to come back up, and I think now is as good a time as ever for him to light up. He didn't do well against uh, the Red Sox at Fenway last time, and this will be at Fenway this time. I think he'll right the ship and he'll win game one. Yeah, the Red Sox typically give Garrett Cole a tough time, um, which is great, but I I can't trust Nick Pavetta to go up against him and and pick up the win. I just Pavetta's been. Too inconsistent. I know his last start was a lot better, but um, it has been a rocky season for him, to say the least. And I think the Yankees, even though they're not really hitting right now, like you said, Terry, that, you know, they're in a sort of a mini slump here. They still have enough. They have enough to beat you. And I think Garrett Cole, you know, will find it within himself to, uh, to pitch pretty well against the Red Sox for one. So I'll also take the Yankees in that one. Just looking at Pavetta's career ERA. Yeah, so this is, believe it or not, by far, outside of two starts in 2020, um, Pavetta's best year. <laughs> He's got a 429 ERA. His next best was actually last year. I, sh- I guess I shouldn't have said by far, but that was 453. And I think these last two years are who Nick Pavetta is. I don't think he's ever going to be anything much different from this. Maybe... Maybe he'll get it into the threes for one random year like Porcello managed to do it. But um but yeah, it's this is this is the Nick Pavetta experience and is what it is. Next game, uh kinda interesting. We've got uh, as Charlie said, Frankie Montas versus Brian Bayo. The only thing I'm interested in here is how does Bayo handle this lineup? Can he keep him at bay? Can he strike out Judge and Stanton? Can he go five or six innings and not get roughed up and and not be intimidated by that robust, relatively scary Yankees lineup? I don't care if we win or lose. I just I just want Bayo to 
to have uh, a good performance against uh, a division rival that he's hopefully going to be pitching against for the next six or seven years. Right. Um, well, the three of us know this is going to be Brian Bayo's debut against the Yankees. He's never pitched against them before. Uh, what we have seen is Brian Bayo pitch at Fenway, and it hasn't been pretty. And if you look at his splits between home and away, he pitches better home than he does away, and his ERA at home is 5.01. So you can't go wrong taking Brian Bayo or Frankie Montas. Frankie Montas has done well against the Red Sox twice this year. And I've been talking about, you know, the law of averages. If you're down for a couple times, you're probably going to go up. If you're up a couple times, you're probably going to go down. He's had one decent start and one good start. It's not complete far-fetched to say he'll have an average one or a below-average start. But even Frankie Montas below average is still probably going to be able to compete with Brian Bayo because, like you mentioned, Terry, is he going to be strikeout city or is he going to struggle a little bit and walk two, three guys and give up like a home run or two? Because if he gives up four or five runs before the fourth inning, I think it's safe to say that Brian Bayo doesn't make four innings. So his number one goal, his objective, is going to be to get outs quickly uh, and, and effectively, too. None of these, um, you know, depending on the outfield or crazy plays, you need to get strikeouts, you need to get double plays, you need to have balls hit right where they're at, Adam balls. Um, otherwise, it's not going to happen and we're going to get swept. That's it. I actually like the Red Sox in game two. I think Brian Bayo will pitch okay. I, he may not have his best start, but he's going to – I think he's one of these guys that he's going to get up for the opponent. You know, I, he recognizes, you know, Red Sox-Yankees, what that's all about. He has a little bit of a fiery side to him. So I think that he's going to raise his game a little bit. And quite frankly, I think Frankie Montas kind of stinks. Like, I, he, he hasn't been good. Since getting to New York, he's had like maybe one, two good starts. The rest have been garbage. Um, and he was he was hurt with Oakland and never I don't think he ever really got healthy. And I think the Yankees are gonna end up really regretting that trade because he's gonna get playoff starts for them. And I don't think they're gonna go very well. I think he's gonna get lit up. So I'm not a Frankie Montas guy. I, I'm glad that the Yankees were the ones who went all in for him because I think he's gonna let them down. And I think Bayo will actually outpitch him a little bit. So I think the Red Sox will will get to Montas early. They'll jump on him. And Bayo, I think, will bring his A game and he'll keep you in it. So I like the Red Sox for game two. You'd think the Yankees would have learned uh, after the last Oakland starter they got with Sonny Gray. Uh, so, yeah, I... I... <sighs> I kind of feel like the Red Sox are going to lose that one just because they they'd have to get a lead and then early because that bullpen Yankees still have the second or third best bullpen in Major League Baseball. So that's really my only bugaboo. I, I guess if they can put up a five or six spot early on and then Bayo settles into a rhythm, uh, they could certainly, you know, the Red Sox could certainly pull that one out. But. Uh, I just at face value, I gotta take the um, the Reds. Uh, excuse me, the Yankees in that one. So we will wrap on that. Be back tomorrow or Wednesday for for Hot Take Tuesday. Um, everybody have a good start to your work week. Take care.